Hey, hey, hey. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Whistling in the Dark podcast. This is episode 53. Today is Monday, August 10th, 2020. I'm your host, Dr. Patrick Bradley, and this is going to be a solo episode today. Uh, Adam is still finishing uh, Bolton's book, and that is probably going to be the main topic the next time he is on. So uh, I'm going to try to run through, you know, a few different things, um, mostly various, you know, pieces in the news that have been going on lately. Maybe some stuff relatively uh, recent. So this was at 6 p.m., it's saying. Trump was escorted from a briefing after shooting near the White House, um, a Reuters article. So uh, U.S. Secret Service abruptly escorted President Donald Trump out of the White House press room in the middle of a briefing on Monday because of a shooting outside of the White House. Uh, So I don't really know that there's anything else about this yet uh i think the best i can do is uh just do a quick like last minute uh search um i don't know what this thing's gonna be hashtagging with uh white house i'll just search white house So I don't know that it had anything at all to do with Trump. Um, yeah, I. so there's just a shooting out there. Uh, they pulled Trump um, out of the, he was just, I think he was like just starting a press conference and uh and then he was back a little while later, and um, I did see something asking if he was if he was shaken or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's in this article, but he was like, "Yeah, I don't know." <laughs> He's like, "Do I seem shaken?" <laughs> anyway, um, so we'll see, but. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, it sounds like the person wasn't even on the White House grounds, so it sounds like possibly just a uh, a bit of um, precaution there. So uh, see if anything more comes out of that. Uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about was the latest COVID numbers uh, in the U.S. <clears throat> Let's see what we're looking at. So, what day was this? Somewhere uh, the 24th. So, a little over two weeks ago. Looks like the cases in the U.S. um, peaked. And the around the the 31st, like the next week. So it looks like there was about a one week delay. And then the, uh, the number of deaths has, um, peaked. So I would say, um, 
it's not going to be unless you see a third wave coming. Um, you know, I don't think you should expect to see COVID-19 sort of dominating your daily news anymore. Um, I mean, California is pretty far down off of their peak cases. And again, it's not, um, you know, we talked about it briefly the last time. So, you know, we were, or at least I was probably more than Adam, a little bit, you know, skeptical or wait and see about the increase in, um, in the cases. Uh, but you know, you, because you didn't see the deaths start to spike. So I remember him pointing out like hospitalizations or something um, were, were going up. So, but anyway, you saw the lagging increase in deaths. So, you know, um, assuming that, the, you know, these are real numbers, which granted is a, is a big assumption. I'm not saying that there's, <laughs> there's not any possible, you know, um, conspiracy surrounding the way these numbers are, are counted or whatever. But I, you know, I think even when you're just using these numbers directly as they are, um, you know, things are, things are looking to be on the decline, uh, all throughout, at least all of the second wave States like Florida kind of same thing. One thing that is interesting is why uh so i guess you could argue that actually florida really has been on the downturn it actually hit its peak on july 12th so it's actually been decreasing um in cases for about a month uh whereas the deaths increased on the uh hit, hit sort of their peak around the 31st so that's that's nearly a three week delay. Um, so it so that's a kind of interesting, right? Um, that even the delay uh, between the lag between a spike in increase in cases and an increase in the deaths, or you know the peak of cases and then the peak of the deaths and the starting to slope downward that timing is different for two different states, California and, and Florida. So, you know, it shows that, I mean, even in that, um, there's, there's some complexities that, you know, I don't think anybody's capturing or really explaining there, you know, um, what is different between what happened in California and Florida and, you know, another thing that I do think is sort of surprisingly close together. Now, I, I thought I might even find them like almost identical. Um, and it may just be when they, uh, you know, when these states sort of quote unquote reopen. But, you know, Texas hit their peak July 15th. And that's in, within three days of Florida. And that could be just the way Texas is reporting the numbers, right? Uh, you know, Adam was talking about that last uh, week. And if you look at these numbers, you see that there's a pattern. So you've got to compare like Monday to Monday, Tuesday to Tuesday, you know, like that. But I mean, not, I'm sure not every single state is the same. And 
Texas peace and deaths were July 30th, one day different. I mean, it seems a little bit uh, surprising that it's basically the same the same day. I mean, when you just put in the plus or minus error of recording these cases and when they're put out, I mean, these are essentially, they reach the peak in cases and the peak in, peaks in deaths the exact same uh, day. So, let's see what we have here. Uh, you know, another thing I wanted to say was, so, the, so no, nothing, no state has come close to the number of deaths of New York City. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, mainly New York City, but New York State, 32,800 deaths. Jersey then was 16,000. Actually, that could be worse per capita. I'm, I'm not going to go look all around for these. We'll, we'll just use super rough calculating. Um, and then Cal California is next with around 10,000, a little more, um, and a much, you know, much larger population in California than New York or New Jersey, probably more than them combined. Um, and then Massachusetts was number four with 8,700, uh, a, a little bit more. Texas is right behind. So they had 8,741. 8, Texas is at 8,704. Um, so Texas will probably surpass them. Texas has way more people than Massachusetts. Um, so, you know, that per capita number you know, not so not so great. Florida's there with eight thousand deaths. Illinois, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Connecticut. So, um, but you know, just so now we're on the you know the tail end of of this second wave or tailing off. And so, sure, you know, we'll we'll probably add some to these numbers. But unless there's a third wave in Texas, that is three times as bad as what just happened, like triple the amount of deaths. Like they're not even going to get to New York level. And I don't know how many more people, but um, all right, I said I wasn't going to do it. Let's just do it. Let's just get the... Per capita COVID deaths in Texas rank number... 28 they must have known this is uh <laughs> okay god I, it so i just googled like the list of states by population um california 39 almost 40 million texas 29 million florida 21 million new york 19 so so actually texas florida new york are all relatively Sim oh no i'm uh, no 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 florida new york about the same texas is like 30 million california's 40 million and then pennsylvania illinois yeah i want to see where um oh god do i have to like hover over it here massachusetts is seven seven million people so you know um Massachusetts has 7 million people. 
Texas has 30 million and they've had the same number of, of COVID deaths. Uh, and this is where the comparing the case numbers just doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, because to Adam's main sort of driving theory is, uh, you know, that this is that, that the second wave states or countries are ones that didn't have like a particular, particularly strong first wave. Um, and I guess if you carry that reasoning out, you would say that in some cases, the lockdowns and all these precautions and everything that was taken um, in certain states maybe actually worked. Or maybe, uh, you know, I, I mean, the way <laughs> this sort of viral um, spread occurs is it seems very small for a little while, you know, as it's building exponentially. And then all of a sudden there's kind of a moment, you know, where it's on the map, you know? Um, and in the first wave, we really were only sensitive to deaths. There, the case count was, you know, so far below, um, the, the, the testing, you know, it was so far below. So you, you, the, the, I mean, you you could look at it, I I guess, but those numbers weren't like really showing up in a shocking way, I don't think, um, until you know now now they they have enough. There's enough testing; it's easy enough that you're able to see the kind of um, you know real spike in cases like you did in Texas before you saw any. You know the alarm was sounding, and you hadn't. You still were seeing deaths decrease. And they were, you know, everybody was panicking. Um, so in a, a place that, you know, didn't have the real um, spike in deaths, it's, I think it's really hard to say what happened. Because if, you know, like New York and I believe New Jersey as well, I, I'm not sure if there were other states that really were as bad as that. But with the, the huge amount of deaths coming from nursing homes, you know, in another state, like let's, you know, let's say Texas just didn't do that. They didn't put uh, COVID-19 positive people back into nursing homes to basically just like decimate the population. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. It's like so many people are testing positive and not showing symptoms. Uh, I really think it's something that just have to think more about um, to really think about a first wave state or a state that didn't have a particular particularly strong first wave, um, and then had a you know, but then didn't have a second wave. So you have. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, this is like way down, but it, it's still interesting state by state. I just sort of went down a little bit there, but um, Missouri, who had, you know, for Missouri, they peaked at 30 deaths a day in the beginning of May or a little bit, 31. And it looks like they, they're they up around, they're possibly peaking around 22 right now, but their cases just peaked Right at like 
you know, July 30th was their cases. So who knows? We And we don't know the delay. Like we've, we can look at different, you know, we've already shown different states with different, <clears throat> you know, sort of lagging time periods between cases and deaths. So, um, but, you know, they didn't have, again, I, I think it's kind of hard to say, but it doesn't look like they had a particularly, you know, strong um, first wave. You know, Massachusetts, sort of similar. Their cases are really slowly going up. <clears throat> but, I mean, that number, you got to be able to uh, say that. I, I mean, it's literally going up by, like, 100 from its low of, like, 195 I hit like 500 cases or something, but very low. And um, their deaths have not seen any significant increase. I mean, they had 14. They've had lower than 14. They've even hit nine at some point, but um, you know, they've also had higher than 14. So, you know, I don't high as 30 recently. I mean, that, yeah, that's kind of funny, right? So, the worst Missouri had ever been was 32. Now, granted, I'm told what's Missouri's population. Um, well, six, six, uh, almost 6.2. Massachusetts is 6.9. So, yeah, the, the worst Missouri got. Not, you know, more spread out or whatever, but you also have like spread out areas that didn't get, you know, didn't get wiped out. Um, so anyway, um, you know, I, I still think, I mean, the worst, so the thing that I keep going back to, you know, with the lockdown, um, you know, masks or whatever, I mean, masks like wasn't a thing in the beginning, now it's a thing gloves, whatever, cleaning every server, you know, all these, all these precautions is, you know, I just keep coming back to when you look at New York, you know, look at, uh, so Illinois, oh, by the way, just, um, sorry, I know this is, but this is sort of going back to the previous point. Illinois is really still seeing an increase in cases and it really hasn't seen an increase in the death. It, ha it hasn't. The, their uh, seven-day average for deaths is has been flat for like a month or so. Um, so that will be interesting. See that, you know, uh, we expect it, the deaths to start increase. So, you know, I think that that's one way uh, that it might stay in stay in the media um but so you know i mean you know Jer jersey's literally had days with zero deaths um and cases in new york they're very flat it's like they have this very long flat tail i don't, I don't know but that's you know, so New York is has zero death days, ten you know single digit days. Um, yeah, the they're saying the seven day moving average is eight deaths. Uh, so, 
The thing I keep coming back to is during the strictest period of lockdown in New York, where people were forced to quarantine, they were forced to stay in their homes, every business was closed, you know, nobody was out and about. Uh, you can look at the park mo. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> you can look at uh, parking data from that time and see that nothing was happening in New York. And you can look at parking data now and see that lots of people are back. We're, you know, we're actually climbing near uh, uh, pre pre COVID levels. In a lot of places. Uh, I don't know exactly New York. Um, but anyway, people are way, way more, you know, mobile now. And people are not quarantining. quarantining. Not to mention, you had multiple weeks of rioting in New York City. I mean, just ridiculous, you know, I don't know, tens of thousands of people all over the place, fighting, smashing into buildings, you know, whatever. So, um, so you have the biggest explosion in cases and deaths in New York City after the lockdown. Again, I want to say the lockdown was like on the, er, like, I think it was before the 20, even the 21st. I thought it was like a 17th or something. But anyway, at that point, they were looking at 30 deaths a day when they locked down. Now, okay, we'll say two-week lag or whatever, you know. So we'll go, let's say all these people that had it could have could have gotten it. So they, you know, they were getting up to in the hundreds during when they were locked down. So you could say all those people actually contracted it before these. So all the deaths by like, you know, the first in, in the, let's say 50. And then they, but they keep going into the second week uh, where they actually, I think, eclipse a thousand. One day they did. It was on April 17th, but that looks like a weird counting day. Um, so I think possibly the only real uh, explanation, you know, you're going to really have. I mean, I guess you just say they at April 13th, they peaked at 956. And I want to say the 17th is when they locked down. Unless I'm just totally crazy. Um, so, you know, you still have for a long time after this. I mean, you know, it's not until... even had another little resurgence i mean you're in the middle of may and you're still having 387 deaths a day um you know pretty substantial anyway my point is the worst of it occurred during the lockdown and 
if they are, if they're, you know, I mean, wasn't the, um, the George Floyd killing like right around Memorial Day? Um, I believe that is the case. Sorry, this is a little, uh, yeah, started, I mean, they started in May 28th. So May 28th, they're in the streets in New York City and all over the country. And they're still, they still have 128 deaths every day in the state of New York at that point. Um, which, you know, that I, I feel like is, you know, when, when Texas, I feel like Texas got over 200, but a, a day, um, it couldn't even be more than that. Uh, but anyway, I mean, they were riding that point, 128 deaths a day. So all, what I'm saying is give me an explanation besides herd immunity that explains why there wasn't immediately another wave of coronavirus deaths. I mean, okay, you can, you can, you know, bend yourself in any way you want, uh, and look at it through some crazy lens, but any way you try to do it, you cannot tell me that the situation in New York city when during the like two weeks of rioting was better for containing COVID-19 than the period of lockdown right but the period of lockdown saw far more transmission of the virus far more cases and deaths so you know i mean what's what else is there besides herd immunity i mean what are, you know or like adam says you know a partial herd immunity or something i just don't really see how how you can explain it in any other way. And I think, you know, that this is basically exactly what Adam is saying when he's talking about the first wave. If they had a bad first wave, they're probably like find the first wave city and, or state. And again, I mean, maybe I'm just missing it. I'm I'm a little bit haphazard going around. Um, But, you know, the states that they really focused on with Florida, it's sort of amazing. Florida didn't, it, again, it's a little tough. I mean, for, yeah, yeah. I mean, Florida's peak in the first wave was 83 deaths in a day. And they have, you know, they have a larger population than New York. So it not even close. I mean, they weren't even a 10th of the death rate that was occurring, you know, in, uh, in New York. So, and they have, uh, I think a substantially older population. I don't think it's going out on a limb to say that. So anyway, um, that's the situation right now. I, I actually already spent way more time on that than I wanted to mainly, uh, I'll blame that on Adam not being here. 
Um, but that's the point. The point is, unless they're, you know, there's probably going to be some more lagging second waves like Illinois and stuff. But, you know, again, like we said, I, I don't think anything's really changed. I think, you know, last week, uh, you know, we talked about like, hey, you know, if a private business owner wants you to wear a mask, wear a mask or don't go in. You know, if you want to protest in a public space against, you know, government mandated mask wearing, um, that's a different story. But I don't even think that's happening in in Georgia. Um, so I'm not I'm not. Yeah, like, honestly, like, I don't feel like the state of Georgia has really cracked down all that much. I know there were periods of time where there were uh, like curfews i think they even did curfews i think well the curfews for the rioting for sure um and again it's like man it's tough you know like to me like a curfew for the coronavirus is sort of silly i I said that before i mean what is it transmit worse at night i mean what possible reason it seems like you're just shrinking the amount of time that people can be out uh, but you know, cause no matter what, like people have to be out, right? Like I do not have a self-sustaining plot of land here. So somebody, either I got to go out to get my supplies or somebody's got to bring me the supplies. Um, but one way or the other, you know, people have to be out and I mean, why not let things operate 24 hours a day to just thin out the crowds even more if that's, you know, what, you know, what you're concerned about. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I I think it's good news. Um, probably the thing I'm most concerned right now is about the NFL season. So, you know, the NBA, lots of sports are playing right now. NBA, NFL, and Major League Baseball are all playing right now. Um, baseball saw a little bit of a hiccup with the Florida Marlins. Apparently a bunch of them tested positive and, uh, the Phillies were then also had to stop playing for like a few days while they all tested and stuff. And, uh, so it's uh, all the Phillies I think were fine. It's just kind of funny. Um, a bunch of the Florida Marlins had the coronavirus played a series of base three games against the Philadelphia Phillies and nobody on the Phillies got infected. Um, that's pretty interesting. And I mean, baseball, it's not like you're playing football or, or even basketball where you're, you know, constantly, you know, touching, touching people and stuff. But so the NBA is handling it by putting what they call like a bubble like down in Orlando. And, um, so the idea is like everybody gets tested before they go in the bubble, they get tested every day in the bubble. And I guess they just really try to minimize the way things go in and out and people go in and out. So, um, but this is much, um, for my less, uh, (laughs) professional sports inclined listeners. This is a lot easier to pull off for something like the NBA. I, I think the team has 12 people on it. Coaching staffs are pretty small, you know? Um, I mean, I think each team, you're probably 25 people or something. You could get away with something like that. Whereas the NFL roster, and NFL hasn't started. So hockey's teams are bigger. um, And I think what they did is they did uh, like three locations or something, um, at least two. I'm not, and then, and they got it down to the, I guess the playoffs and then the playoffs are going to be less teams. So, um, but yeah, I, I think they're sort of doing a multiple bubble. So, and 
hockey teams are larger. Um, I don't know actually off the top of my head how big they are. Um, but I would think that there's like in the twenties on a, on an NHL roster. Um, so, you know, just, it, it's a little bit bigger, but they're able to handle it. Now, baseball, um, also don't know how big those rosters are, but they're playing in the actual ballparks. So they're traveling around, um, and maybe I, yeah, I'm not really sure, but you know, they had the one kind of problem so far. So we'll see how that goes. I think that's a much, I mean, the tough thing is, is baseball, the game isn't nearly as, uh, likely to spread between the teams. You know, I would say, obviously this Florida Marlins, Philadelphia Phillies thing was a good example of that. I mean, just watch a baseball game, watch a football game, and ask if, like, everybody on one team had the flu, how many people on the other team might wind up with it. Um, but so the NFL has the biggest rosters. They have 53 players. You know, it's just 53 players, 30 teams, really big coaching staffs, training staffs. I mean, you have a lot more support people around. Uh, I, I mean, I, would, I bet you put it at, like, 100 per team and you know so you're at like you know you got what three thousand people I, so they're not going to try to put three three thousand people i mean that's a small town and then imagine the the amount of people you need to then support that like the to feed them and keep everything clean and you know whatever whatever you have to do um, it's all, it's just, a, it's a lot of people. Um, I don't know that there's really a reasonable place that you could do this that exists in the United States right now. Um, so it sounds like the way the NFL is doing it is they will be playing at each other's stadiums. Um, and it'll be relatively normal. So I don't know if the Players are going to try to, I, I haven't heard anything about them quarantining in any sort of way or confining themselves. Like, I think they're just going to go home to their families and stuff. So, anyway, all that to say, football doesn't start for another month. So, let's say Chicago um, or, you know, Illinois hasn't even peaked yet. You know, let's say it peaks in the next week. Well, there's still two weeks for the deaths to peak, probably. Um, could you know, could be longer. I guess it could be shorter. But you know that that I mean, they might be like just hitting their peak of deaths during the for the entire like coronavirus panic when when the NFL season's supposed to start. That's gonna be um an interesting thing. Um, but that being said, like if they represent the kind of last of it, it's going to really drop off, you know, after that. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I've been pretty pessimistic. Like, I, I just don't see how you can keep thousands of people like what? Because it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't need to be like Tom Brady, you know, the the like the the headline player. It could be like the the, you know, water boy test positive for COVID-19 after a game. I mean, it, it doesn't matter, right? Anybody that has it and, and they're going to respond to like shut things down. I mean, they're not going to, you know. So now their games are only played once a week. 
So maybe theoretically you could say, oh, you know, somebody on this team tested positive. Well, you have a whole week to test everybody else. And I guess just pull out, you know, anybody that does test positive. But by the time you're at the next game, you would you would know. But I mean, if people are going home and stuff, it could happen anytime. So anyway, I don't I don't get the feeling that people care a whole, whole, whole lot <laughs> about um sports i'm not sure that that venn diagram isn't isn't too uh the 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 uh sort of convergence points or the overlaps aren't too big there with libertarianism and sports um but anyway i thought i'd mention it i i've talked about sports here and there but i do think it's an interesting um piece of all of this that you know they're driving ahead with this you know um so yeah, I I was looking on Snapchat. I almost posted it, but I just felt like I would just come off as like racist or whatever. But on you know, and on Snapchat, you can look around in your area and see like hot spots. They have like a heat map of where people are posting videos, and like people in are just like partying in clubs on Saturday night in Atlanta, like any other Saturday night in any other year. Um, and I think I just think it's it's amusing that you know friends of mine will like bitch about people coming into their restaurant without a mask on um and then you know have this just you know constantly i they, they just because they are so strongly aligned with the black lives matter they could never possibly it's like they cannot speak in anything negatively about this situation that I'm talking about, because when you look in the videos, it's all black people. I mean, it's literally like a hundred percent. There's just black club. I mean, it's Atlanta. It's a, it's a black city. Like, I don't know, maybe you look in Boston and the clubs and it's all white people doing this. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, but if they are, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's almost like the reason I think that is probably not is because we haven't seen it. And if you had videos of a, of a, like a fucking 500 white people in a club this weekend, dancing with no masks on, you know, grinding up on each other, whatever, just having a good time living their life, you know, it seems like that would be big time news, you know, particularly if it happens, because they'll show you like shots of the beach or something like this. And this is very easy to find. I mean, you just need a Snapchat account and you can just go look, go look around in your city. What do, what do you see? So anyway, um, you know, it's just not that, you know, we need any, <laughs> any more proof of uh, like an absurd narrative, but um, that's definitely going on. I mean, you know, in the city I live in, the, you know, egregious uh, violations of social distancing are in these clubs, you know, and, and before a couple of weeks, like well, maybe a month ago, there was just so too many shootings in a row at, at these car, like they would just, they would block these streets um, in kind of like nightclub areas and just do like burnouts and donuts and all you know i mean it's hundreds of people and stuff um but the number of shootings i guess eventually has kind of quashed that um but you know this stuff in the clubs are crazy you know all in these areas and and um i mean you just don't hear a word one about it 
And um, like I always said, like to me, that that's what's racist is that like, you know, they talk about, you know, they talk about white fragility. I mean, what's that? Like, what? I, I don't know. I don't know a catchy phrase for it. But I mean, clearly you're fucking afraid to point out the fucking obvious thing, you know? So, I mean, that to me, and, and, and to me, it says that like, I interpret it that like my like white jo- social justice warrior friends that, I mean, their fingers can't type any faster to post out like virtue signaling, you know, Black Lives Matters memes and anti, you know, white and anti-Trump shit, just virtue signaling. Like, I've never seen, I hope this is a crescendo because I don't know what it would look like if we haven't even hit the the peak yet. <laughs> uh, you know, but why can't they say this? Like, why? I mean, I guess they're just like afraid to be called a racist. Um, but like, I mean, in a barrage of Black Lives Matter posts, you know, like if you posted something about, hey, you know, this like thousand people down in Edgewood Ave in Atlanta street racing and doing donuts and partying in all the clubs and then shooting each other, you know, hey, like let's uh, social distance, you know, everybody, let's let's wear some masks, you know, like. But they'll freak out at some video they, they, they see on, on, you know, Twitter or Instagram where some quote-unquote Karen is, like, getting angry because somebody's telling them to put a mask on. But, you know, they would never say word one about this. And I think that that, like, I think that's what is the racist thing, is to think that, like, you can't criticize black people, like, they just need your help and you have to just be a hundred percent positive. I, I mean, I, I just feel like it's like they're, you're treating them like they're handicapped. You're, you're, I think that that is more damaging. And I, I think it pushes, like keeps this narrative alive that like black people can't stand up on their own two feet. And I just don't believe that. Like, I think you got to stop fucking them over, you know, in the ways that we've talked about, you know, ending the war on drugs. I I mean, the war on the family uh, in the U.S. I think is pretty real. I mean, something's fucking happening. Whether or not it's on purpose, I don't know. But, you know, the nuclear family is, is certainly not, you know, doing great anymore. Um but yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, super violent areas in the United States, super fucking violent are all, I wonder, I wonder what's like the most violent, I don't know, area in the U.S. that is majority white, you know, and compare it and, you know, to this and um, to, to, you know, whatever, just at large, the, the most violent places in the, in the country. And, you know, I think that that, violence has such uh, an effect on a, on a person, a ch- you know, particularly like ch- child growing up in it. Uh, it's, you know, I mean, I know Dave Smith sort of tried to throw some cold water on this for some reason. I feel like he was, uh, 
I feel like in his own way, he was trying to sort of suck up to the left a little bit. And right, right, right. I mean, it's all theory, right? But the war on drugs has been absolutely fucking awful to the African-American population in the United States. Way worse than it has been to the white population, right? Um, Particularly like the crack part of it when they they started to jack up the uh, charges or, you know, what the sentencing on for crack cocaine versus powder cocaine. I mean, that that was really bad. Um, But, you know, on top of it, I think that it's more nefarious than that. I, I, I think that, you know, the drug trade, like there's poor areas, you know, there's poor white areas. And I just don't think that like they, like the police still police. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I'm not quite like, Maybe I'm not as familiar with these like poor white kind of, I'm thinking more like trailer tra- trailer park kind of ideas or whatever areas. Um, but I, I just don't think they have anything compared to like what's going on in these areas. And, and I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know how much you have to delve into conspiracy theories to, to, to see that, but you know, during the Iran Contras when the CIA you know, was smuggling cocaine into the United States. Like, I don't think they were taking it to like the, you know, affluent white suburbs, right? That's not where it was winding up. So to me like that, and and I realized like, okay, like I, I can't do it as good a justice, uh, an argument, right? It's, it's a little bit, I, I, you know, I would have to do more, a lot more significant amount more research into kind of trying to dig through the different layers and what information is really available, you know, on that. But I mean, you can get heroin and you can get crack in the suburbs to some extent, but I mean, you know, anybody that that has any actual experience in these worlds know that, I mean, 90% of it is is in the city, you know, like, it's just, it's just like where, it's where that it's happening. And, uh, you know, to me, like, I don't know, is it the way they're policing or, or what, or are they letting it happen, you know, um, Anyway, uh, it's a bit of a a bit of a tangent there, but I really think that that there is something to that. In like, despite I what I would say is pretty weak attempt to pour cold water on the libertarian take on these things that Dave Smith did have. Um, I think that we're the only. I think we're the only ones actually suggesting things that would make a large improvement. Would they fix things? No. I think like 100% right away, of course not. I mean, again, right? PTSD, uh, you can get rid of this, you know, make drugs legal today. Um, It doesn't cure PTSD for a kid that like watched his mom like OD in front of him or saw, you know, his dad murdered in front of him or her or whatever, you know? I mean, that shit's going to take some generations to work out. But, like, nobody, 
I mean, I don't know. That's my experience. Like people can help to some extent, but you know, I always thought about that. Like, you know, um, it's so fucked up. Like, like if a guy rapes a woman, as terrible as it is, like it's, it's almost like this double whammy, right? It's like the woman gets raped and she's the only one they can do anything about like recovering a normal life from it. Like nobody, nobody can fix it. that guy. Can't unrape her. doesn't matter how it, I absolutely, I'm, I'm sure it may be like somewhat cathartic for, for the person to, to, to have their rapist apologize. But you know, what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do? PTSD is like pretty legit. And, um, you know, I think you have a large swath of the African-American population in the U.S. is probably living with something like that. And, um, you know, I'm way out of my uh, area of expertise talking about that. But um, I have had personal trauma in my life and it has taken a lifetime to deal with it. And there's still stuff that I'm dealing with. And I know lots and lots of people that are dealing lots of very close friends that have all types of trauma and violent, you know, at early age, lots of violence in their lives. And, you know, it sucks. Like to me, it's almost like, look, like I'm going to be fucked up till the day I die to some extent. Like I'm pretty happy now and I've come a long way, but you know, personally, like I still have demons, you know, there's still sort of ghosts, there's still trusted issues or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm still carrying some of that stuff with me and I probably will. But you know, if I have children, like to me, that's the best thing is like then, but if I have children, as long as like, I'm not, you know, causing severe, like, trauma you know as long as like i don't die when they're a little kid or something like that and i'm not beating them up and i'm i'm not saying these are all the things that happen i'm just in general i'm just talking about in general the various forms of trauma whether it be you know violence sexual violence neglect you know what are all these different things that can kind of do it um you know, if I'm able to provide an environment, I'm sure I'm still passing on some of the weird, like, personality stuff and energy from me to them that still has some of the trauma, you know, my childhood trauma tied up in it. But it's a lot weaker. And then their next generation, you know what I mean? So it's like the first step is, like, just stop the fucking, like, causing the trauma and i and i can't think of anything better than ending the war on drugs and then the welfare state you know like um i've never really thought about like the real logistics of unwinding that thing like maybe you know again i know you know from murray rothbard for a new liberty he's just like he doesn't care anything you can pull out from the government do it don't worry about the order you do it, nothing. Like if you can win any war, whether it's the IRS, Department of Education, FBI, CIA, Army, you know, whatever, the welfare state, you know, any one of these, if somehow you can win that, that piece of legislation and shut it down, do it. And don't worry about the order. That's what Murray Rothbard would say. Um, I ne- I not sure like I, you know i don't i don't recall being like super swayed by that argument um 
But nonetheless, I mean, he's a far greater uh, libertarian thinker than myself. So um, I guess by default, I would, unless I can like disprove it, I don't know. But um, possibly like the welfare state, maybe something you got to think about how you unwind it. If you don't, certainly, uh, if you don't buy the, the sort of Rothbard, just remove anything that you can in any order and don't, you know, don't even worry about it. Uh, but yeah, I think that those two, two things it would go a long, long, long way, um, to allowing the African-American community to fucking just build itself back up, you know, because, uh, I think that it's, again, it's like, I mean, yeah, you can, you can help. I'm not saying like, there's no room for charity. People helped me. You know, people still help me today, you know? Um, and a lot of times the people that are the most helpful are people that have been through a similar experience and can speak from experience on how they got out. So I'm able to sort of help other people that are earlier on this path um, if they want, you know, if they're interested in knowing how I did it, like how I went from being, you know, drinking every day, drugs every day to even you know, even after I stopped that, years of battling with depression and being suicidal and all these different, you know, things and to come out, you know, and now I'm at a place where I'm I'm pretty happy. I don't really get depressed ever. Definitely never want to like think about killing myself. Don't drink, don't get high, you know, all these things. I can tell somebody that is sort of in a place similar to where I used to be and I can and if they want, you know, I could talk to them about how I, you know, what what I did. Like, what's my story? Like, how, how was I able to, to turn this thing around? Um, now, I don't really know where the African-American community would find those people. Um, if, it, 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 like, outside of their own community, right? Like, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I just don't really get where, like, white people are going to, help them but at least stop hurting them you know like stop fucking actively making their lives worse that is just to me the big step and that it's the same thing i used to say with with iraq um this might even have been before i was doing a podcast where people talk about oh we need to like rebuild and do all this stuff and it's like look yeah for sure like do we owe like Clearly, the U.S. owes Iraq reparations, right? Clearly, it owes Afghanistan and Syria, Libya, uh, Somalia, Egypt, whatever. All these, you know, fucking, I mean, you know, this isn't, this is like relatively easy math. But I guess there's the question of, well, where does the government get the money? It gets it from taxing its own people. Um, so it's sort of a, a sort of a theft that they have to just steal more money to give them. But even if you put that aside, I just like, it's like, look, if I believed that our government could actually help the, uh, the Iraqi people, uh, if they were there, sure. Yeah. Like rebuild some of this fucking infrastructure, you know, don't do it in some awful way where all the, you know, just U.S. fucking billionaires get richer off of it. Um, but I just don't believe that, that they can do it. So I, I, it's like, 
the best thing to do is just to leave. The, the, you know, that will definitely work. <laughs> you, you know, you stop attacking them and they will stop getting killed by you. Like that's the easy step, right? That's like, there's no way to argue around that. And so that's, I sort of always stuck to that and just like, look, man, we're fucking sorry, you know, but we're just an outrageous, you know, we're just like a wild fucking animal. And do you just, you know, get back in that cage? That's the best you can do. You know what I mean? The tiger's never going to like apologize for killing some kid and or something, or like a kid gets in the cage, you know, um, you know, you, you, you can just like stop putting, you know, kids in the tiger's cage or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of a clunky, uh, analogy. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my Black Lives Matter take for the week. Um, but, you know, will it ever happen? I don't know. They're decriminalizing marijuana. Are we in this, like, super slow? Like, I don't think so because I still think the war on drugs is, like, useful to them. Like, I, I, I still think that, like, the Afghanistan thing, to a large extent, was about the opium and heroin and like oh what a surprise this massive fucking opioid em epidemic in the united states granted i'd have to do more research to really really directly connect them but what's that one thing you look at the, the graph of of what percentage of the world's opioid production was in afghanistan it had dropped to fucking zero before the u.s invaded then the u.s invades and now afghanistan supplies like something like 90 percent so pretty outrageous. Um, you know, I, I, I think that I think that like possibly the marijuana laws and like the crack laws, you know, probably well, definitely the, the crack laws, you know, might have been driven a bit more by like racism and stuff. Like it was looked at as, you know, weed was like maybe more like of a African American drug or whatever. And and I, I just don't know like how much I really question like how much like KKK style racism is really alive and well in, in the government and stuff. I think it's just more about, you know, building their power and influence and trying to solidify their position. And, and I don't know, like maybe like weed is just sort of slowly slipped out of that now. I mean, so many white people smoke weed, like it, it doesn't really play like a major role um but you know they've found that really that they they get their money through like the cocaine and the heroin i think and then i also like is i mean is this what's going on like opioids from prescription drugs like that would be a pretty big bombshell if somebody could show that there was like a connection between the afghanistan uh opium uh uh, or pop, you know, poppy production or whatever. I don't know how it, you know, gets into these prescription drugs, but like a pipeline that's actually like made it way cheaper to make like prescription opioids. Woo, that would be sick. So, anyway, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about economy stuff. We talked about the economy uh, a bit last week with Adam. Uh, we found out that Adam is a very rare bird as being a libertarian that is not a big um, believer in gold, I guess, as an investment vehicle, we'll say. 
Um, very rare. So that's fascinating. I hope to um, talk to him a bit more about that. Um, I did send him a plot that was pretty interesting over, like basically since the Federal Reserve, you've seen um, kind of up and down relationship. If So if you look at the Dow priced in ounces of gold, it's peaked a few times at 40 ounces and it's hit a low of like around one ounce, I think a, a few times as well, but you, you see it oscillating. And one of the interesting things you see is after 2008. So you, I mean, you like, it's kind of traversed these whole, the whole slope from like 40 to one twice, I think. And so it went back up and maybe it went higher in 2008 than 40 started dropping did not get anywhere near down to that low so it didn't do whatever happened before and you know billion other fucking variables too so maybe the whole fucking playing field just looks different um maybe they're getting better at managing the money and they're able to smooth out these things without having to go as deep into the um you know recessions or whatever and then you saw it go back up and now it's dropping again and so let's see today i'm just gonna do let's see what we got two thousand twenty eight dollars is gold and two seven seven nine one eight so thirteen point seven ounces of gold to buy the dow so that is, I mean, that's pretty interesting, right? So we're, uh, and we're, you know, we've been certainly on the decline, right? The gold, gold has been going up and the Dow, you know, over the last year is, I mean, it's not at its high. It's, it peaked just under 30,000, hit 29.5, then went all the way down to 19 and has climbed back up. This it's hit twenty seven five before and now it's at twenty seven seven nine. So almost twenty seven eight. So this is about the high. Sorry, I keep moving away from the mic. Um, this is about the high for the Dow since the like, you know, the pre COVID crash. So, all right, I, I mentioned so gold is two thousand twenty-eight dollars. It actually is down four dollars today, um, but over the last three months, it's up. I don't know, several hundred dollars, and it looks like silver twenty-nine dollars. Interesting. Um, again, it's up. Oh, that's yeah, silver's up over the last three months, like ten bucks. It was it's almost thirty, and it was like seventeen to more than ten. I mean, silver is like what this is like something like forty percent or something. Um, so big, you know, big increase in silver and. Yeah, I mean, 
and even if you zoom out, so silver is really interesting. Silver has so gold. If you go back even a year, you've seen roughly this this increase, and then it really has shot up in the last few months. But even over the previous nine months, um, you were seeing like pretty. You had some pullbacks, but overall, a, a good amount, like um, probably from fifteen hundred to over seventeen hundred, or even more, almost eighteen hundred or something. Where silver was like largely flat, even had a big drop there in looks like March, April, and after that drop, it just shot up. And it shot way up. So that's that's wild. I mean, when it was, uh, I don't remember where its low was. Um, let's see if we can get it on here. Oh well, yeah, I guess it was like twelve bucks, <laughs> something like around twelve, thirteen bucks. So it's more than more than double. So that's what we're dealing with that. Bitcoin, another uh, another interesting one. That Bitcoin is at eleven thousand nine hundred. Eleven thousand nine hundred dollars Bitcoin. It has tested this twelve thousand dollar amount. It's gone over it, but it, you know it sells off kind of over and over. Um, it still hasn't hit its high most recent high which was actually like 13,000 back in June of last year so that's uh pretty interesting we haven't quite got back to that wow it's been a long I can't believe that was last year so last year we had the run up and we were getting excited and we were thinking, oh, yeah, here we go. We're about to bust out these new highs. And uh, after 13,000, you know, it, it's it's dropped and it's struggled. Um, so we're still sort of fighting back to that. But if you look, uh, and I'm certainly no technical trader and, you know, certainly buy at your own risk. But if you look, this recent breakout, is the first time since last year that it's finally broken out of that pattern. I mean, it was just kind of just like on a steady, you know, up and down, but overall like a decline and down and down. And, and that's, I, you know, again, without trying to pretend like I know much about trading, I mean, that's kind of what you see happen. It's like these trends, they hold and they hold. And then, you know, you, it's like when they buck the trend, it generally that's where the big move is and you know whether you're good or bad is whether you can you know kind of like predict the up versus the down uh breakout and you know we've had a i mean now we have a pretty significant upward breakout um i think it's been out for a week weeks at least if not uh like a month um, so that's like pretty substantial, you know, as you get more and more time. So now we're sort of in a new pattern, which is certainly on an upswing. So we will see, we will see. I, I've been, um, pretty pessimistic about Bitcoin for a lot of, you know, well, I don't want to say maybe not a lot of reasons. One is, 
kind of hasn't been doing that great. Like I said, it's been a largely downward trend. Uh, I guess you would say a bearish market for like a, a year. And um, the biggest thing, which also applies to gold uh, in a little bit different way, I think, but and this is just about using it as money, but the capital gains tax. And it's just something I just don't hear a lot. And yeah, it sucks. I mean, it's totally artificial. It's imposed by, you know, the government. But, you know, if you make money, if you, let's just, it doesn't matter if it's gold or Bitcoin. Let's say, you know, you bought gold last year. You got in at like, whatever you know 1500 or lower and now it's 2000 and you don't even sell it you just go buy a computer with it let's say um like actually trying to use it as money they they want they want that 500 that 500 of profit is taxed and it's actually worse. They tax it like a collectible. I was just reading about this today. It's uh, much higher than capital gains. It's a uh, 28%. So isn't that fucking nice? Now, sure, I mean, with gold, this is the funny thing. So with gold, yes, you can trade, you know, gold. Like you can buy gold. I mean, I think as long as you're buying it under $10,000 a pop, um, so it's like just go to a local bullion shop, get, get you know, a few ounces of gold, 6000 bucks, hold that, you know, let's say later it's, let's, I don't know, it's our wildest streams, say it goes up to 10000 bucks an ounce, you know, so now you got 30, 30K of cash uh, value in your gold. Well, let's say it's 9000 because then you would be hit on that every time you tried to sell it. So you could go to your bullion dealer and sell it to them. And I don't I don't think that they're reporting it if it's under $10,000. So like you could do that. But that's illegal, I'm sure. I'm sure not reporting that is illegal on your part. Like that is capital gains profit from your collectible as the IRS sees it that you're not reporting so sure you can do it in a black market that's fine same thing with bitcoin same exact principle holds the thing is is all of the bitcoin transactions there's no way to go to a store and buy bitcoin without it being tracked i i mean i guess it's not true right uh I guess you could make a wallet and then go to somebody face-to-face -face and have them transfer into your wallet. Yeah, so I guess you can buy it. I guess you could you could do this. So theoretically, I guess you can do the same thing with Bitcoin. Um, but like if you go to Binance or any, you know, I mean, Robinhood, I, I talked about this somebody, I actually want to look into this, but I would assume, I mean, Robinhood, I don't think you have like a wallet with your Bitcoin. I, I think they're just like, they have a bunch of Bitcoin or they're just basically assuming that a lot of their users are going to lose money and they don't even have to actually buy and sell any of this stuff. I'm not sure if that is what happens, but I would assume that they just have their own Bitcoin store at a bare minimum, like 
that they are just allotting you some amount of that and then maybe going and buying it after. But I don't, because I don't even think I get hit uh, when I buy Bitcoin on Robinhood. I don't even think I get hit with the usual Bitcoin fees. Um, I, I don't know what percentage it is, like a tenth of a percent or a hundredth of a percent of your transaction value. But um, yeah, anyway, so... Um, but nonetheless, if you want to use like, get, you know, you can't, you're not buying a car with Bitcoin. You're not buying a house with Bitcoin. And if, I mean, I'm not saying you can't do it, but you're the, the IRS doesn't look at it like that. What the IRS considers is that you essentially get the cash value for it and then buy the car or, you know, the house or whatever. So they're hitting, they're acting as if you cashed it out the, right before you made the purchase, and you have to resolve your sort of tax uh, taxes with those profits or losses at that moment. So I mean, sure, you could like imagine a uh, like a, a relatively like anonymous um, usage on a low level, like your day-to-day, you know, going into stores and stuff. I mean, as long as they're not, like, tracking your uh, identity, I mean, I guess you could just go to the grocery store and swipe, you know, your your wallet uh, and transfer them some small amount of Bitcoin for, like, your groceries. And that would allow it to work. Um, without a capital gains tax and you would just have your like you you have to deal with your transaction fees um so this is one of the things about bitcoin that i think is less attractive than some of the other ones but i'm i have not been looking into that much lately so uh i'm not going to talk about it too much um or at all I, I don't know what the alternatives are right now been was reading about bitcoin cash or something um i mean they've all been around for a little while but i you know to me, it's like you got to go fast and cheap, right? You got to be able to make these transfers fast and cheap. That's extremely important. And not having a public ledger would also be pretty nice, <laughs> at least for me. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know that there's a huge amount of value in the ledger being public. Uh, I mean, maybe for certain things, but not for... Um, I mean, not for my my like financial transaction history. I mean, what what the fuck do I want that in a publicly viewable ledger? Even if it's just attached to a bunch of like quasi anonymous, you know, wallet addresses. If somebody can connect me to a wallet address, now they can see all of my my transactions and all the wallets they went into. Um, so you know, I don't really get that, but it is what it is. It's. Uh, it's one of the interesting, um, I don't know, things that come along with the Bitcoin stuff uh, is that it's actually like very public in ways. It's like sort of a mix, you know, it's just very different than um, doing normal transactions with like debit cards or even cash or whatever. It's like something different than than all of those really. <clears throat> um Anyway, so, uh, but yeah, uh, so I'm back to that, you know, just from like a total trading, you know, looking, there's a lot more volume 
over the last year than there was even, you know, when it ran up to 19,000, didn't have nearly the volume as it does now. So, uh, I mean, I feel like that's good news for Bitcoin. Um, and it broke out of this pattern and it certainly broke up. So we'll see. And it's definitely keep running into this $12,000 area. I mean, maybe it's not exactly 12,000, but something like that. I know the, uh, the, the guys uh, do all the you know technical analysis with the Fibonacci, you know whatever these retracement curves and blah blah blah. Um, you know they always go to these exact twelve thousand one hundred twenty-two. You know is the the resistance? It's the whatever point point you know five Fibonacci retrace of blah blah blah, and they say all this stuff, and it's like ah, I mean that may have somewhat of a self fulfilling prophecy of like all the traders are looking and doing the analysis the exact same way. Um, but I kind of think that there's stronger um, resistances at like round numbers, psychological, like 12,000. And then that all-time peak type of thing, you know, or or the recent one, the last year, you know, 13,000, whatever, um, you know, that'll be huge if it can take that out. It's still got another 6,000 to go before it hits an all-time high, unlike gold. So, so to all the people that do trash gold and they and they pump up Bitcoin, or all the people that think that the Dow, you know, outperforms gold, or you know, and Peter Schiff is just like you know some old old guy stuck in his ways, gold's at its all time high. The Dow ain't, Bitcoin ain't. So Bitcoin hasn't seen its all time high in like multiple years. Um, I'm not saying it won't come back, right? But let's all be honest and say that we don't actually know the future. But up until present day, gold has come up to its all-time high. And, you know, the Dow, not. And Bitcoin, not. So it's tough to really make that argument today. I'm not saying, hey, next year this time, landscape could be very different. So, uh, there's a lot of other stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, there's an article about, uh, well, there was that explosion in Beirut. There's a couple of articles I started looking at. Um, one was from some interesting, uh, I, I think I found it on anti-war. They linked to a link to it, anti-war.com, english.alarabia.net. Um, uh, I don't know. There's definitely a different source that I think you guys probably normally use. So I will link to that. But they're talking about um, the some analysis of it, thinking that like it was probably only hundreds of tons that blew up, not the like 2,700 tons or whatever. Um, and they think a lot of it had been stolen over the years. Uh, there's another just sort of general. Um, so they... Uh, well, I mean, I guess, I guess I should say like what happened. I mean, there was some big explosion in Beirut, and uh, Lebanon's here. Let's see. They're saying they're so Lebanon. Lebanon's prime minister announced his government's resignation on Monday, saying a huge explosion that devastated Beirut and triggered public outcry was a result of endemic corruption 
The August 4th detonation of a port warehouse of what authorities said was more than 2,000 tons of ammonium nitrate killed at least 163 people and injured more than 6,000, destroyed swaths of the Mediterranean capital, compounding months of political and economic meltdown. Today, we will follow the will of the people in their demand to hold accountable those responsible for the disaster that has been in hiding for seven years. So anyway, I guess the people had some big you know, uprising saying that the, you know, they want the government held accountable for that. So that's happening. It's also kind of a funny one is France. It's not funny, but is France helping Lebanon or trying to reconquer it? And this is from the AP. It's almost as if Emmanuel Macron forgot that Lebanon is no longer a French protectorate. Visiting explosion ravaged Beirut this week, France's leader comforted distraught crowds, promised to rebuild the city, and claimed that the blast pierced France's own heart. France will never let Lebanon go, Macron said. The heart of the French people still beats to the pulse of Beirut. Like, how fucking crazy is that? Like, what? Yeah. Like... <laughs> So I guess, I mean, I guess like, yeah, I guess like France like took control of Lebanon at some point. It was like a territory and they're saying that their heart is still in it. I, I feel like the Lebanese people probably do not feel that same affinity to France. His critics denounced the overtures as neocolonialist foray by a European leader seeking to restore a way over a troubled Middle East to restore. Oh, restore sway over a troubled Middle East land and distract from mounting problems at home. A meme circulating online dubbed him Macron Bonaparte, a 21st century emperor Napoleon. So that's uh, it's interesting. I always uh, always like when there's actually an article pointing out like one of these, you know, European, Western European countries that are held on a pedestal you know, like France for by all the like left leaning people in the U S are, are still up to the same bullshit. They like our government is, uh, so this weekend, 20 people were shot in Washington DC at a block party. Um, this is like, again, another example of you'll never see anything about it. 20 fucking people. I only know one person died. Um, 20 people and a black party with like hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, again, social distancing, whatever, you know, if that was, if, if this was like some fucking redneck fucking barbecue, uh, you know, in a trailer park and there were hundreds of people there partying, eating, and then a big fucking shootout happened and 20 people got shot and somebody got killed. Oh my God, it would be everywhere. It'd be everywhere, you know, but you know, not going to hear this because this doesn't help them manipulate you. Um, there was, uh, riots in Chicago, more riots this weekend. That's why I thought it was interesting. Um, let's see what we got. Uh, Interesting. I'm going to link you to two things. Here's a little, uh, actually, let's see what this guy says. 
Um, I got the power. Uh, I have to stop recording and start. Okay, so this is a video. Chicago's police department. Uh, police department superintendent blows up the media's narrative on violent riots. Let's see here. I haven't played uh, many things like this uh, in a while, so here's a clip. I, I made this point in my comments. These looters act as, as if there are no consequences to their behavior, and they base that on uh, what happened previously, that we made a lot of arrests during May and June, and not many of those cases were prosecuted to the fullest extent. And I think that's my point and the mayor's point. We have to have consequences for the arrests that Chicago police officers make through great threat to their own safety. They're being shot at to make these arrests. And these looters, these thieves, these criminals are emboldened by no consequences in the criminal system. They get released. Many charges get dropped. And so they feel emboldened to do it more, do it more. That, that is not a, 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 you know, a consequence of the officers not making the arrest. The officers are making the arrest. The consequences are uh, once prosecution and sentencing comes up, there's no consequence. So we would, we would argue that let's have the criminal justice system here deliver a strong message to these criminals that there will be consequences for your behavior. So it's interesting. Anyway, I thought it would just be fun. It, it came up in my my search here, um, and I will also put a link to just the article, uh, a regular article. Hundreds of young people looted stores, broke into indoor shopping malls, and battled with police overnight Sunday into Monday in the city's central downtown district. The reason for the unrest, according to several looters who spoke to the Washington Post on Monday, were reports alleging a police-involved killing a black man on the city's south side late Sunday afternoon, but police said those accounts were misinformation spread across social media and appeared to encourage people to head downtown. Uh, officers responded to a call about a man with a gun in the Inglewood area. When spying the man, they pursued him on foot after the man shot at them. Police said the officers returned fire. The man, 20 now, is recovering at the University Hospital. Uh, so, <laughs> so they all rioted. Uh, so they rioted in Chicago this weekend about a officer shooting officer involved shooting when uh oh man sorry I'm trying to find this uh video again I didn't copy the link um yeah so they uh <laughs> they they rioted and it wasn't even like the right story. Um, so that's great. And I saw videos from it, um, shooting, like literally like they're like, well, these people are like videoing from like up on a high rise, like looking down and, uh, and then they, um, they're breaking in the you know, stores and shit. And then you just hear like gunfire going off and like shoot. <laughs> I mean, it's fucking wild, man. You know, but anyway, so the police didn't even kill 
anybody. They shot some guy with a gun and the person's recovering, but started more riots. Um, and it's interesting, right? So, you know, as libertarian, again, we're back into this, this sort of weird place where, yeah, I mean, I get what the guy's saying, right? Like you have to have consequences and then you sort of go to the Murray Rothbard thing of like, well, destroy the state, every piece of it at every step. So should we just get rid of the police and fucking whatever? And the, the, you know, free market will figure it out. But the thing is, is that the the local police departments are not the only law enforcement in the country. And so to me, they're honestly probably the the best thing, the thing that you can affect the most. You have you could reach out and touch your police department that polices your area. You can go talk to them, you can meet them. They aren't, you know, these you know, rich billionaires. You don't need to lobby them. You can create community groups work with them and i'm not saying it's great and uh you know but you get rid of them and now you're dealing with state troopers you get rid of them and now you're dealing with federal officers i mean you know every 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 other scenario is way worse to me like because you can't say okay well we don't even have state police anymore so now we're gonna have private security forces and handle stuff like this but but you can't you know what i mean like you still have law and like the feds are gonna like bust up any like private kind of like large scale security kind of movement you know they're not gonna want people policing their streets like the way you know like the police do like really armed like really protecting themselves so, I mean, I, I really, I absolutely do not believe that this defund the police is going to end better. It's going to be worse. It's going to be worse for all of us. So, so it's still going on. I know some of my, you know, friends, they still try to, be, I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago and it's like downplaying it saying, oh, you know, the riot's pretty much over. And I was like, well, no, they're Definitely, they were still going on in Portland and Seattle for sure. And then there was just this past, uh, or maybe it was two weekends ago, there was more riots in Atlanta. You know, now you have this, and it's you know, like this dude's point, man. This the superintendent of Chicago police. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just you know, no consequences. And I really go back to when they blew or burned down that police station in the first night of the riots and nothing happened nothing happened to them whatsoever i think that was like that's what really blew the lid off so uh there's another um so shifting gears to something slightly uh happy i don't want to talk about the um Oh, uh, the DC Black Party. Yeah. Young father dead, 20 injured. Young father of 17 dead. Um, okay, we don't need that. We don't need that. Sorry, just trying to get. Okay. Uh, Secretary of Defense Mark Esper said in an interview with Fox News that uh, aired. Saturday, that the use will draw down its presence in Afghanistan to under 5,000 troops by the end of November. We're going down to a number less than 5,000 by the end of November, Esper said. Esper said the withdrawal is conditions-based and will only happen if the Pentagon feels it can carry on its mission in Afghanistan with a smaller troop presence. Um, so that's that's good news. I don't really know what... Um, 
you know, I, I don't know what's the possibility of it. Um, and I, you know, whatever, but anyway, 5,000 less troops is good. I mean, it, this is one thing I think I subscribe much more clearly to the Rothbard way of thinking things, uh, that less troops of ours in a country is better almost a hundred percent of the time. Uh, so I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, and the last thing I was actually going to talk about this cause I was doing the, um, when I was talking about uh, economy stuff, but I want to end on this and I was pretty excited. So I, I've been thinking a little bit about some of the discussions with Adam and his point of like, okay, like basically if like basically where is the inflation? I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. He's not even here. So, uh, but it's a, it's a good question, right? It's, it's, um, If you, you know, like, and, and we, I talked about it, like, you know, the 2008 crisis was my first bubble that I'd ever went through since sort of learning about the Austrian theory uh, and reading, you know, Mises and Hayek and what whatnot and Rothbard. And I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd read all of that before 2008, but I definitely read, uh, you know, definitely Hayek, Hayek, um, I had I I used to really be into watching Tom Woods lectures. He had a bunch of really cool lectures. Uh, I'm trying to think when. Oops. Uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. I I mean that's one of the things I find like it's interesting to keep reading. Um, you know, and you, I I can get tidbits and stuff, but. I mean, I feel like I get the basic idea, and I'm not trying to be an economist, so you know. Anyway, you know, but the the basic idea is like in the sim, you know simple economy. Let's say you've you have ten dollars in the economy, and the whole the amount and the, the goods in the economy are are ten cows, and then you know one guy is a is in control of that money, right? And he gives you know his buddy ten new dollars that didn't exist. Now there's twenty dollars. Now, nobody knows that that happened yet. So his buddy is able to go and basically buy all of the cows. And now he has all 10 cows. You know, nobody, I, I mean, in a, in a situation where like, Nobody's really like communicating to each other. I mean, obviously, this stuff would start to happen, right? You would see, I mean, this is what what you see is like as demand increases, like, hey, how's this, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how can you even buy these? So there's obviously problems with this, you know, thought experiment, but it's just a basic idea that, you know, this guy owns all the cows and now cows are $2 a piece. So, you know, does it even, uh, you know, does it even work? I mean, I guess like the people could buy back the cows if the guy wanted to sell them. I don't know. You know, then he would have all of their money. And so they would have, you know, they would have their cows, but they'd have no money, you know, whatever. Like you can see that like it kind of, you know, it doesn't work out well for the people that didn't get the new money. Now, 
let's say there's 10 people, there's 10 cows, there's $10, everybody has a dollar. Now the money printer guy says, hey, uh, I want to, I want to like, you know, prime the economy. So I'm giving everybody a dollar, a new dollar. So now everybody's got $2. Well, I mean, right away, right? Like there's no, it doesn't even work for one millisecond if everybody knows the deal. So everybody has $2. Cows are instantly $2. And it doesn't really do anything because it wasn't, you know, an unknown thing. So that's like the first piece, right? So to some extent, like people are baking in some level of inflation in the United States. There's some, you know, 2%, 3%. But my, uh, basically, my theory goes like this. My theory, this is this is sort of the uh, I'm talking about as a like localization. I'm referring to it as like why do we see inflation localized? You know why why don't we see it everywhere? And the question I I sort of framed it around was like why um, why don't we see the price inflation on a gallon of milk? Uh, as high as we would expect. Like if we naively take this sort of cow, um, you know, cow experiment, thought experiment, we, uh, I'm not sure. So, like, for instance, the price of milk in 95 was $2.52. And it was three nineteen in 2019. But in, in 2018, it was two eighty five. So, I, you know, in 23 years, it gone up like 30 cents, you know. So, it's not... And what you know? What did the money supply do over that time? I mean, we he talked about last year, uh, you know, what the what the Fed was um, what the Fed was printing there, and um, so from ninety five. Oh God, I can't even. Oh, the money supply didn't. Nope, actually got up pretty high. <laughs> yeah, so uh, M1 at least, money supply. And I don't, I don't want to get really down on these numbers because I don't think that's really where the argument really resides. But just to show that like we were at a thousand... Um, a thousand... So this is in billions. So... Somewhere this this chart's not like good enough for me to to see it exactly, but somewhere around a thousand, maybe maybe even twelve, thirteen hundred billion till you know two thousand eighteen. Oh, that's four. So 
God, why is this? This got to be the worst graph I've ever seen in my life. Yes, chart will be better. Nope. Maybe. Um, I, I would have to like export this and look at it. Uh, yeah, this is was crazy. Um, anyway, it's it's more than doubled. It's like way more than double. It might even be like a hundred and fifty percent. Um, so the money supply M one has gone up. You know, during that period of time, you know, almost 100%. What is M1? M1 is the money supply that is composed of physical currency and coin, demand, deposits, travelers, checks, blah, 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 negotiable. M1 includes the most liquid portions of money. So the money supply is like, you know, outrageous. And just for the, you know, for the record, we're, we're at uh, $5,200 billion now. Um, and remember back in... 2008 wow we've had a really steady increase up until this spike i'm gonna see i'm just gonna i'm gonna link this in the show notes so you can play around with this if you want um so okay so why? So we've established that we're not seeing it. That was the important. That was a, all. This was to establish that the money supply has more than doubled over this period of time. And you saw like a thirty cent, nowhere near doubling. And the, the worst case scenario, you could say, it went from two fifty to like three ten or something. It's like sixty cents. I mean, that's that's like a twenty five percent increase. You know, where you're, you know, the the money supply was like one hundred fifty percent. What is the deal? Why, you know, okay, number one, if there's all this money to buy, are, I guess the next question is, okay, are we seeing inflation, price inflation anywhere? And I would argue that yes, very much so. Like, you know, let's look at the Dow. Let's look at, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do all this and I, I'm going to write, I think I'm going to write an article. I don't know really where I'm going to put it. Um, I've been meaning to like finish a website uh, like for Whistling in the Dark. I have it like 90% done that at least there's like an email list sign up thing. Uh, so maybe I'll do that. I don't really have a place for blogging for this. So um, I don't know. One way or the other, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write up an article about this and, you know, have some good numbers and stuff in there. Um, better, you know, better stuff. Like to answer this next question, you know, where where is this inflation? Um, so, I mean, the money supply just steadily, steadily increased. And so, what do we talk about? So, we saw a big bubble, and and I mean, it's been increasing, right? Um, seemed like it hit some peak in the late nineties, early two thousands. And it kind of leveled off. The money supply actually contracted, so that's another thing to look at for the um, for these bursting of bubbles. You know, when you actually the, the money supply actually contracted, we haven't seen a money supply contract in a minute. <laughs> I mean, it is the slope is different now. The slope has been different since two thousand eight, and now the slope is wildly different. In like. My argument is basically, 
where this inflation goes is it goes into the Dow. It goes into, you know, the real estate bubble. Basically, it goes into these assets. Um, you can buy up. I mean, I was listening to this. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Ryan Dawson. Um, he's pretty cool. He he does a massive amount of uh, research. I think he's written some books. He's definitely done documentaries. He lives in Japan now. Um, but he he he's almost like a Scott Horton sort of vibe, like this uh, treasure trove of information. Um, maybe not as firm. I don't think he's quite as clear of a thinker. I don't quite trust him in that in that way. Uh, but he's also treading in much more difficult waters. Like he goes really heavily into the Epstein stuff, and he has for a long time. But it, he he's pretty he's pretty neat. He's pretty like level headed. He does a good bit of like debunking. Also, you know, like for instance, in like nine eleven, like he kind of has a vibe of like, hey, like let's stick to the stuff that we like definitely know is fucked up, and like we don't really have to like get into all this other stuff. Um, but Anyway, uh, you know, he was talking about um, research he had done into like Epstein during that, that uh, like the financial crisis and like Epstein had started a fund. This is interesting. I never really heard about this, this move before, but apparently like something like Bear Stearns. So they have all these toxic assets. So when they're getting, I don't know, I don't, I don't exactly know like the, the ins and outs of when this type of thing happens but they're getting like audited or whatever so people are looking at their books so what they do is they make these other companies and they so epstein owned like had one of these companies and then they would bear stearns would sell their like really toxic assets over to this other company that was sort of off the radar bear stearns books would look good they would get checked out blah 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 whatever and then they would buy it all back so like nothing like actually happened or whatever Anyway, part of the 2008 bailouts were bailing out these fucked up companies, these like crazy satellite, just, just fraud machines that were like allowing, you know, Moody's or whatever to rate, you know, these, uh, these, uh, financial assets much better than they were. And, uh, and now Dawson also claims that, you know, he thinks that like the main thrust of all this Epstein and, 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 and Maxwell stuff was all about blackmail, all over the place, you know, and a lot in the financial sector um, where they're able to, you know, because he was saying he's like, you know, paying these people off, like they're impossible to control. Like these people are billionaires, you know. He said it's like blackmail is the is really the way that you can affect like change in these really really powerful institutions and and start to gain control. You gain control of the people. You don't destroy them. You gain control of them with the blackmail. I thought that was he. I, I've listened to a few different things of his recently. Um, it's pretty pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, so you know, so they bail out Epstein. <laughs> you know, they bail out all these these. Uh, and, and this is where it goes. So, so the these things that are initially inflated, right? Like, um, I, I, you know, it's it's. Uh, like the first people to get the money, right? That's that's the people that really benefit from it. 
So they're able to get this money. They're able to buy up some things at lower prices because they don't realize this money's out there. Now, obviously, back then, people knew stuff was getting printed. So I'm not I'm not saying it was like complete like ignorance of what was happening. But they drive up the prices of these various assets, you know, whatever. So the thing is, how many fucking gallons of milk is Jeffrey Epstein drinking? He's drinking probably the same amount as you or me. If you drink milk at all, I mean, I don't, yeah, like I don't really buy milk, but whatever, you know what I mean? Like your staples, they're just not going to be affected by this as much. That's, that's the basic theory. And even, you know, and it can take, like, I'm not saying it cannot ever get in, you know, like what do they buy? They buy luxury cars, they buy luxury houses, right? So they're not even like directly inflating, um, you know, through, through that, like I'm talking about through the simplistic, like they're just buying. I mean, obviously, you know, the financial markets around real estate are very complex and, and the bailouts certainly help you know, with all this stuff, but, um, but like they are, you know, these like literal trillions of dollars that have been like doled out recently by the federal reserve. I mean, these aren't going into the pockets of normal people. These are buying like fucking like floundering assets and stuff and lining the pockets of very wealthy people and propping up these companies, these, you know, financial companies. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not doing anything but that. I mean, where where does the Fed operate, right? I mean, they're not printing up a bunch of money and then, like, going around to mom and pop stores and bailing them out. Like, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work like that. Um, and I know the government's, like, printing up you know, they're giving out a bunch of money now, you know, with the unemployment and the $1,200 and everything. But that's like when you give everybody a dollar in my cow scenario. So, I mean, that that should actually drive up, though, the inflation. So, in the cow scenario, drives the inflation, doesn't create a bubble, though. Interesting. But now you have these things happening and obviously very much more complicated, you know, in real life. But that's the basic, you know... To me, like, I think that's the basic explanation. And and I came up with this pretty early last week. And I talked to a couple of people about it and just have been letting it knock around in my head. But I think it holds, I think it holds water pretty well. And I honestly, like, I don't feel, I've, I've heard this said before, but to some extent, like in a more general sense, but I haven't really ever heard somebody quite put it this way um and it's pretty helpful for me to think this because what adam was talking about does make a lot of sense so unless these people are you know unless the new you know new money from the fed is somehow getting into gold you know right off the bat uh or bitcoin then they've got then gold and bitcoin assets like that that aren't as high on these people's list, well, that price inflation takes a while to get there now. Like, you know, because let's imagine they're buying a bunch of luxury homes, you know, they're buying luxury homes, they're buying luxury cars, luxury yachts, whatever. Those are the things that they are buying that like a regular person just isn't buying artwork, 
I, you know, I, I don't know. Very expensive furniture, you know, but, you know, basically, like, how does that affect your rent? Like, how does that affect, you know, the price of chicken? Um, they're not, you know, suddenly eating like 4,000 chickens a week, right? They, they're, they're, you know, those types of things are going to get really locked. And I bet you, you go look at the CPI and it's filled top to bottom with only stuff like that. Only the staples, only the things that basically everybody consumes about the same level. Now, obviously, you can buy organic special chicken, um, or you can buy the base, you know, Econo Buy brand. Um, but I think that those prices are actually somewhat tied to each other. Um, and but what do you? I bet you see like organic. You know, the expensive chicken, I bet you it gets hit harder by inflation. I bet you all the organic stuff does get hit harder because, you know, wealthy people are, like, directly going to be buying that. And they're not going to be buying, like, nearly as much non-organic stuff. Um, but now, that is to say, though, even if, you know, the demand stayed absolutely the same for all the staples, so... I still think it would get, you know, the inflation eventually sort of trickles through because the the labor and the capital that they need to employ, you know, like raw materials and stuff to build the yachts and the cars and the houses, it's the same pool of labor and raw materials that build all the regular cars and houses and, well, regular boats. I mean, you know, but... uh and the furniture, right? Like, I mean, maybe uh, the more expensive woods are going there, but it's you know, it's just you know they're all they're competing for the same you know in the same furniture makers or whatever. So, you know, I think that those, but again, like I, I mean, there's still somewhat of a limit, you know, to how much they're going to buy. And so I think that what happens is these huge net worths are largely on paper, you know, and they're not, maybe they're not real in the, in the way, like if I had a billion dollars of gold, you know, in a vault, like I was Scrooge McDuck, that is, you know, that's like, that's a billion dollars that I can reach out and touch and I, and I and and I can use you know directly to trade for whatever I want you know um so anyway that's basically the theory the theory is that the fed when they create new money or they you know create new money and buy toxic assets this is propping up those prices so there there's a couple things at work one is maybe the Dow should be valued much lower. You know, maybe all these crazy, you know, weird financial vehicles that they make, maybe their prices, you know, if they if they didn't keep pumping money into them, would actually be far lower than they are now. So those they could have massive inflation. Like what if, you know, the Dow, the Dow could be overvalued, overpriced 300% because of this or more or less, you know, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I, I think in the article, I, maybe I'll try to do a little more justice for, for the actual numbers. Um, 
But when you look at the Dow and you say, what did the Dow do from 95 to 2018? And you look at the price of milk, I mean, what's missing? You know, right? Like, why do you think, why would you think that the Dow would triple over that time? I mean, why why should that happen? You know, like what what other reason is there besides just a bunch of fucking new money getting pumped into it? And so I think it's getting in there and it's staying in these accounts or it's staying, you know what I mean? It's not like most billionaires don't have a bank account with a billion dollars in it. You know, they just own a billion dollars of assets. And I think a lot of these assets are these just like financial market assets, uh, you know, that are kind of artificially held up at very high prices because of the actions of the Fed. And because of the, you know, what I would say is a pretty reasonable explanation around their spending habits and those compared to the, you know, your average middle class and poor person in the United States, I think you can see that Although they've amassed this large, you know, net worth on paper, it's not going to cause them to be consuming, you know, 10,000 pounds of chicken a week and, you know, hundreds and thousands of gallons of milk or, you know, tons of oranges a week. You know, they, they still have the same energy needs. <laughs> so that's interesting. Oh, I, I didn't think about that. Well, what about they have all these big luxury houses? They need more energy. So that would be one to look at in, uh, in general, right? Like all different, like oil, gas, you know, all this stuff. And, uh, you know, just electricity. What, are, what do these prices look like over this time period? Um, cause that I would say, I, again, I, I don't know like how much it's converting, you know what I mean? Like, cause again, you'd have to say that, okay, they, let's say they doubled the money supply. Well, does that mean these billionaires have doubled their energy requirements and for their homes and stuff? I mean, that might, you know, might not really be the case either. So, so I think that these things like largely start out from paper, they move to other, you know, paper or other electronic means and they end in other paper and electronic means and they largely are just like going around in that world and then, you know, occasionally they'll split out some and buy a house and they'll buy, you know, yachts and they'll and those types of things and maybe they'll invest in another business so they'll, you know, maybe new businesses and that, and that's again, right? That's like the the misallocation uh, of resources and stuff and that that you know, people think that there's um more like they should be making more businesses because I got all this money, you know, like Anyway, uh, so I think I'm going to wrap it up there. This has been a two-hour uh, event, and so it's under three hours. My last one was three hours without Adam. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope the uh, my new little theory, I hope you lasted to it, to listen to it. This is really the highlight of the show, honestly. I should have done it in the beginning. Um, and I will... Uh, 
catch you next time and I think um, I think Adam is going to be back next week maybe we can even Maybe we can even get him earlier. I'm not sure, but probably not. The rest of the week gets pretty tough for me. So probably going to have to wait till the weekend. But anyway, so that's all I got. And um, take it easy, everybody. I'll holler soon.